On October 13, 1517, 500 years ago, Martin Luther hung a piece of paper listing 95 theses against the sale of indulgences. Theses is not a word you probably have heard a lot, but you've probably heard the word thesis, right? Somebody writes a thesis paper making an argument. These are 95 arguments for debate against some of the practices going on in the church at his time, mainly related to indulgences. This is an indulgence, okay? This is the real thing This I got on eBay. It's not near as old as Martin Luther, as you can probably tell by the photograph. Um, I can't actually read the date that some bishop wrote on this. It looks like 1928 or 1922, within the 1920s. This is Pope Pius XI, so I know that the timing is about right for that. And, and here's what it reads. Most Holy Father, James Trot and family humbly prostrate at the feet of your holiness. Beg the apostolic benediction and a plenary indulgence to be gained at the hour of death, on condition that, being truly sorry for their sins, but unable to confess them and to receive the holy um, last rites, they shall at, la at least invoke with their lips or heart the holy name of Jesus. Signed very messily, a bishop related to the Pope, right? Um, there it is. That's an indulgence. And you don't see these anymore, but in the 1920s, they were still around. Um, in Luther's day, these were written very differently. They were really related to what's called purgatory. Purgatory was this belief that after you died, there was this holding place that you went to have your sins purged from you. And the belief was, and I'm going to describe this a little bit more as we go on, but that, that the, the Pope and the church was able to get you out of purgatory and get you free from purgatory early. Now you notice that this document from the 1920s has nothing to do with purgatory. And I think that's an important point, that the Catholic Church of today really is not like the Catholic Church of uh, Luther's day. Um, the, the Catholic Church has had reformations of its own. Uh, I am not Catholic, uh, but I, I, and I don't agree with everything that Catholics believe, but, but please don't hear any of these sermons as anti-Catholic because the church is so much different today than it was then. So the question for today is how did the church get to this point? Like how did the church of the New Testament that was so oriented towards a Jewish faith and towards uh, this loving sort of gospel 1,500 years later, get to the point where it was selling pieces of paper to get out of purgatory. And what then did Luther sort of respond to that? And so we're going to talk today about Luther's theology, but I want to do it in the context of the history. You need to understand that a lot of that theology developed during the Dark Ages. And the Dark Ages are a very superstitious, very scary time period. Okay, There's a reason they're called Dark Ages. Because people looked at, back on them and thought, those are really dark times. And there's a reason why the Enlightenment's called the Enlightenment. Because people started making, finding knowledge and realizing different things. And, and health was different in those days. So uh, there was sort of this series of problematic theologies that developed in the Dark Ages that lead to something like indulgences. That Luther is then responding to. So, um, Spike, am I going to win or not? 
Hey, okay. So this is Luther, and that's Pope Leo that was alive during Luther's time. And I, I want to sort of spell out so you can understand where the Catholic theology was and what Luther was sort of going against. The first question is, how is... It's not going to let me spike. First question, how is eternal life offered? How is eternal life offered to you? And the Catholic answer was merit. The Catholic answer was merit. You had to be good enough. You had to be good enough for this to be offered. Can you click once? There you go. All right. You had to be uh, able to be good enough to be able to be worthy of eternal life. They actually had a doctrine called the treasury of merit. And that was the idea that the saints had so much merit and had so much goodness that they had extra. And that the church could give you the extra. And that was part of what an indulgence was. Was bestowing upon you the merit that you didn't have in your own life. Now how was this eternal life attained? Answer, in the Catholic understanding of the day, was works. You do right things. Normally that involved a lot of practices. Particularly communion, confession, last rites. And if you didn't get all the work done that you needed to attain eternal life, then you had this place called purgatory, where you would go, and anything bad you still had to pay for would get purged. If you hadn't paid enough, you hadn't done enough, you would go to purgatory, and that's where uh, you things would be accounted for. So who offers this eternal life? Well, the Catholic answer was that popes and councils did. The understanding was that, P- that Peter was given this special authority uh, in the church by Jesus to be able to offer these things. And that popes and councils had made decisions to continue to offer those things. That's where this idea of indulgence came from. Okay, So, so you see how this is building. Okay, If we believe it's got to be merit, and there's this treasury of all the saints have this extra merit, and the Pope is the one that can dish it out, the Pope can get you out of a purgatory by giving you some of the merits of the saints. So who has the authority? The authority is really in the tradition. Really in the tradition. Now think about this. A lot of people can't read at that time. There is no printing press which means any copy of the Bible you have is handwritten. So how many people actually have Bibles? How many people actually have Bibles? How many people can actually read them? And most of the ones they have are in Latin. So not only do you have to read, you've got to be able to read Latin. Do you understand? Most priests, most priests had never read the Bible before. They'd never even really seen the Bible, probably. They had no idea how to read it. So the basis of their faith wasn't the Bible itself. It's the tradition. The the interpretation of the Bible is actually more important than the Bible itself. Because we can pass along the tradition. We have trouble passing along the Bible. The authorized interpretation counts more than the text itself. So it doesn't matter that the Bible, at this time, it doesn't matter that the Bible doesn't lay out purgatory very clearly at all. It doesn't matter that this, this treasury of merit really isn't a biblical concept because the tradition said it was, and that's what's important, because the Pope had the authority to do that. And ultimately the question is, who gets the glory? Who gets the glory? And in that time, it really was the church. So you had big cathedrals. You had the glory of Rome. and you, the, the church was very much tied to the Roman Empire. Okay? So the church at that time is not a system of faith. 
Okay, it has moved over a couple of centuries from being a tradition of faith, a system of faith, to really being a political power system. Okay, that the Roman, the, you, the, you know, the power in Europe was the Roman emperor. And who, who assigned the Roman emperor? The Pope did. Okay, so this is political system, you understand? Here's a good way to understand it. There's a painting here. This is hard for you to see, but I'm going to try to describe it for you. This is called The Haywain. It's by Hieronius Bosch. It's written, it's, it's, he's a Dutch painter, and it's painted right around 1516. So actually, a year before Luther, people are already starting to see problems with this system. It's actually a trifold painting, and you can't see it. You can't see both sides. But on this side is the uh, is creation of the fall. On that side is the judgment. And the middle is supposed to be today. And there's this hay bale. Where you see this giant? It's supposed to be a hay bale. Okay? It's a, it's a building of straw. And uh, right around it are all kinds of popes. And the pope and bishops. There's a priest, and he's got nuns tending to his every need. And so there's, he's there. And then if you look around, you don't you have to look this up later. Okay? You'll see all these peasants, and they're, they're in darker colors, and they're walking around, looking around, talking to each other. And, and on the hay bale, up to the left, there is one angel looking up to Jesus in heaven. And Jesus is there with open arms, offering faith, offering peace. But nobody in the painting is looking up except the angel. Okay? This, is a, this painting is a great critique of the church of that day. Jesus is up there making an offering, and they don't even know it. People don't even know that they need Jesus. They are just going about their lives. And the church has been built of, out of hay. Do you remember the story of the little pigs? You build a house of straw, right? That's the metaphor here. They built this, this thing of straw that only the elite have access to, and it doesn't even go up to Jesus. It's not even looking at Jesus. It's just standing by itself. That's the doctrine of the day. And this is the world that Luther comes from. And Luther comes from a world where he's scared of God, where God's out to judge me. He's not ready for this. But when he reads the Bible, he starts to see God differently. And he starts to have some problems with uh, the, the theology of his day. So Luther has what he, what, what's often called the five solas. Sola means alone or only. The fact that he has five of them sort of means that maybe Luther didn't know what that meant. Okay, but what he really means is, is this and nothing else. This and nothing else. And in fact, Luther doesn't ever use all five of them. I think he uses three of them. And his followers sort of out of his writings talk about the other two as solas. And I think that's accurate to his, his thoughts, if not to his words. So how is eternal life offered? The church said, merit, you've got to be good enough. And, and Luther said, no way. Solo gracia, solo gracia, by grace alone. He thought of this verse in Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For Luther, no way, you're never going to be good enough, because he was a monk to the end. He was a strong monk and as strict a monk as ever. He said, if ever anyone was going to be saved by their monkery, it would have been me. But he wasn't. And instead, it was grace. Here's, here's what Luther said. 
The sin underneath all our sins is to trust the lie of the serpent that we cannot trust the love and, of, and grace of Christ but must take matters into our own hands. He said that's the very fall. We think we got to do it ourselves and we can't do it ourselves. Grace doesn't just mean forgiveness. It's really important. Grace means unmerited favor. It means God is for you and he loves you and you don't deserve it at all. That's what grace means. And, and, and for, for Luther, eternal life is offered by grace alone. You're never going to earn it. You're never going to be good enough. Now, how is it attained? By works? Luther says, no way. No way. He looks at the same verse. By grace you have been saved. What? Through faith. It becomes yours through faith. Now, we've got a confusion about what faith is. Listen to Luther talking about faith. Faith is a living daring confidence in God's grace, so sure and certain that a man would stake his life on it 1,000 times. This confidence in God's grace and knowledge of it makes men glad and bold and happy in dealing with God and with all creatures. And this is the work of the Holy Ghost in faith. Okay, I can believe in, in this wall here holding up my little Martin Luther. Okay, I believe it's there, I see it. Touch it, you know what I mean? I can see it holding up Luther there. That's belief. This is faith. Faith is when you lean on it. Okay? Faith is when you sit on it. It's when you put your weight into it and you get into it. The, Luther says the only way you're going to get into this is not by doing great stuff. You're never going to do enough great stuff to pay for all the bad stuff you've done. The only way in is to lean in, to have faith. Now, Luther did say, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never, never alone. What he means is not that we never have to do good works, but those works are expectations after we're saved, not an expectation or a means by which we are saved. It's always a response. So who offers eternal life, popes and councils? No, no, no. Luther says, solo Christo, only Christ. 1 Timothy 2 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Not a Pope's not a mediator, Luther says. Christ is the only mediator. He's the only one we need. I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Or Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no, no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Here's how Luther said it. This is the mystery of the riches of divine grace for sinners. For by a wonderful exchange, our sins are now not ours, but Christ's. And Christ's righteousness is not, our, not Christ, but ours. It's a trade. It's an exchange. Jesus is holy. He's the Son of God. He has right relationship with the Father. We are not. We are sinners. We are broken and we are deserving of death. And Jesus trades us. He says, all right, I'll take your sin, I'll take your death, I'll go to the cross and do it for you, and, and we'll trade. And you can have my loving relationship with the Father, and you can have my holiness, and you can have eternal life that you don't deserve because I took the death that you did deserve. And, and for Luther, um, the church needs to affirm that. And we did that today with baptism, right? We all stood around, and we, we agreed, and we prayed, because we want to affirm that for people, but we don't give that to people. Christ gives that to people. 
Now, what has authority? Tradition? Luther says no. Luther says, I learned this because I went back to the Bible and we need more people to go back to the Bible. Scripture alone. From 2 Timothy 3, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Luther said, no, no, no. It's not the interpretation. It's not a particular interpretation that's going to be authoritative. No, we're going to go back and we're going to listen to the Bible itself. We're going to go back to the source. Here's how he said it. A simple layman armed with Scripture is greater than the mightiest pope without it. This is the kind of line the pope did not really like, by the way, for Luther. Okay? Simple. And and Luther was serious. He spent a ton of effort trying to make sure that the German layman actually could read the Bible in the German tongue and could afford it through the printing press. He was serious. He wanted to put the power back in the hands. Why does the authority have to be held behind closed doors? Everybody should be able to read this thing. Now, the problem with that view, okay, and I really agree with that view, and it is such a blessing that you have a Bible in your house probably, or you could go get one at a store for like five bucks, because most Christians throughout history never had that. Never had that. People died for you to have that right. But the one problem with that view is, if Scripture alone has authority, what happens when we don't all agree on what Scripture says, right? So what happened is, as the church became Protestant, and we have this built-in sort of protesting, over time we started protesting each other. So you had Luther, and you had the Anabaptists, which became the Baptists, and you had the, the Calvinists, and you had the Church of England, and then you had Presbyterians, and then you had Methodists, and now we've got like 30 different kinds of Presbyterian. I don't know how many kinds of Methodists. And you've got Baptists out of the wazoo, right? You, so we keep protesting each other. And there's division. And that was a lot of the critique of Luther in the day. You take away the Pope. You take away the tradition. You take away the central authority structure. And there's going to be division. And actually that critique has been right. And we as a church have to deal with that at some point. That we've got to start healing the broken relationships on things that we disagree over, right? Still, Scripture is the authority and we need to go back to it. And who gets the glory? The church? No. God alone gets the glory. 1 Corinthians 10. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It's not about building bigger churches. It's not building big uh, basilicas. It's It's about giving glory to God. Luther said, the quest for glory can never be satisfied. It must be extinguished. And Luther, though he was brash, and I think, I think he could be a little bit arrogant. He could be kind of cruel, actually, with his words if he really got on you. Um, and he was very popular, very influential. But I think he really did understand this. And he always wanted to point back to give glory to God. We owe so much to Luther in our theology you understand? He saved the gospel. Okay? The, the gospel at the time was lost. The truth of Jesus Christ was getting, getting very obscure. And Luther came in and radically brought it back to center. And it's influenced us to this day. And it is so important that we remember that. Because the, the problem is not just Catholic doctrines. I know a lot of Christians, a lot of Protestants, a lot of Presbyterians who think that they're good enough for God, or who think that they're so bad they'll never be good enough for God so they stay away from Him. I know people who punish themselves, 
who won't let themselves be happy and basically live in purgatory right now, punishing themselves. I know people who worship tradition and the way things used to be instead of seeing God as alive and active now. I know Christians with such a small view of Jesus Christ that He can be an example but never be a Savior or Lord. I know people who fight for what they were taught about the Bible but don't actually read the Bible for themselves to see if what they taught were taught was right. And so the tradition, the interpretation is the authority, not the text itself. I know people who live for their own glory or for the glory of their church, but not really for the glory and spotlight on God. But I'm telling you that Luther really got the gospel right. You will never be good enough. You will never be good enough to earn right relationship with God. And you will never punish yourself enough to make up for the bad things you've done and the good things that you should have done that you didn't. But guess what? You don't have to. That's the point of grace. So stop trying to live out of the works and just let it be grace. Let it be a gift you can't earn. Lean into it. Have some faith in it. You will find such peace if you do. It's a free gift of grace to you. So may God grant you eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive his love and his grace. Amen.